Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is Pastor Nathan Hawkins. Philippians chapter 2. Appreciate the opportunity to preach, and uh, I love our pastor, and thank you. Um, I don't take it lightly to stand behind the pulpit and to open God's Word and preach, and so thank you for the opportunity, Pastor. And um, just want to say, before I even read the verse, the text for this morning, I want to say thank you again. I know I mentioned it last Sunday, but to our church for the love my family felt over the past week and so over the loss of my granddad, and uh, still uh, up until yesterday, getting cards and texts and phone calls, and that means the world when you go through a grief, when you go through a circumstance that is heavy, um, you need your church family, and uh, I know Pastor has said it many times, one of the greatest insurance policy you can ever do in your life is to be a part of a local church, and uh, you're going to need these people, you're going to need your family. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving me, for loving my family. And we definitely desire and covet your prayers as uh, it's a new normal. But we do have hope. We have hope that we'll see my papa again. And uh, that's the sanity that we have to live with. Um, We do not sorrow as those who have no hope. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Let me also plug this in. I know it's still a long time away till summer. But our teenagers are going down to Pensacola, Florida, June 22nd to the 26th. And if you have a teenager or you are a teenager and you'd be interested, I believe it's one of the greatest uh, youth camps in America. We go down there for a week, spend the time on the college campus. And uh, Brother Kenny Baldwin, which a lot of you have heard before, he is coming back to our Jubilee this summer. He preaches the whole week, every service. He preaches the Word of God, and it's a powerful time in a teenager's life. So if you are interested in that, please see me um, after the service. I can get you a registration form. And he is so popular, obviously. Uh, His week fills up so quickly. Uh, There are churches coming from all over the country to hear him. And uh, they sent me an email just this week that there's only a few spots left. So if you're interested in that, we already have from our own church about 45 teenagers signed up. So we'd love to take more with us. And I just wanted to put that out there. Such an important time in a teenager's life. Take your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, verse 21 is where we'll take the text. But let me, just for the sake of context, start in verse 17. This is Paul writing to the church of Philippi. And he says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And look at verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi and he says... I want to be able to come to you, but I'm in a circumstance that I'm not able to, and I am looking for somebody to send to you, but I have a problem. I cannot find anyone like-minded to send to you, and here's the reason. 
because all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus. You've got to understand who he's referring to here. He's not referring to the worldly culture that the church is living in. He's saying, I cannot find a minister of the gospel to send to you besides this young man, Timothy, that I've invested and that I've mentored. I cannot find anyone that ministers the gospel of Jesus Christ to send to you because all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus. Just for the next few minutes, I want to preach on this thought. Seeking those things which are Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for the presence of God we've already felt this morning. Lord, I'm thankful I come to a church and I don't go through the motions and I don't go through the routine, but I can feel the presence of God in this place. And Lord, we ask you to do a work in the hearts of your people that only you can do. I pray you would use me. God, I pray you would empty me of self. God, hide me behind the cross. May people see Jesus. God, may we leave here changed, ready to serve you with our lives, with our whole life, with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. From our birth, it is in us to seek things that are our own. It's in us. We seek our own interest. We seek our own desires. We seek our own comfort. We seek our own success. From birth, we are all about satisfying ourselves. We seek our own education, our own career, our own family. We invest in our own children. We build our own houses. We drive our own cars, and we seek our own happiness. Our life from birth is all about us. If, you've ever, if you ever doubt that, I invite you to come spend a few moments with my two and four-year-old because you will see very quickly that from birth, our life is all about us. On Mondays, I have the privilege to be home with my children. My wife works, and I get to be home. That's my day off, and we have daddy daycare, okay? What a privilege. I, before I had kids, I used to golf on Mondays, and now I run Daddy Daycare. But no, I do love it, and it is one of the greatest joys of my life, my kids. But this, Monday, this past Monday, my two-year-old, Brooklyn, gave a great example of seeking your own. Um, she's at that point in life. She's going to be two in March, so she's at that point where she's learning to communicate. She's developing words. But it's not quite all there. She still struggles and has a difficulty communicating what she wants. And sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, I don't know what she wants. And so this past Monday, she had what I believe we call a temper tantrum. You ever heard those things before? It's amazing. You have children. I've never had to teach them how to have a temper tantrum. Never. I never had to pull out a whiteboard and say, okay, this number one, this is how you throw a temper tantrum. And then you do this, then you cry, and then you yell. Like, I've never, I've never, had, to te- I never had to teach them to lie. I never had to teach them to get angry. It's in us, because we're just sinners at the end of the day. But this past Monday, um, she, for lack of a better term, lost her mind. <laughs> like, just lost it. Like, I, I can't explain it to you. She just lost it and just, I mean, all out in the floor, crying, snot bubbles everywhere, just... And I'm trying to figure out what it is, and I'm like, what, why are you crying? Like, I really don't like this, but you, like, I can't understand what you're saying. And through divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I finally figured out what she was saying, and this is why she was so upset. 
is because I put her milk in the wrong cup. <laughs> it was an honest mistake. Like, I mean, anybody, it could happen to anybody. But she wanted her Paw Patrol cup and not her princess cup. Here's my point. A two-year-old, it is in them to seek their own. Nobody had to teach her that. And I want to say this. It's in all of us this morning to seek our own. And in fact, it is against our human nature and desire to seek those things which are Jesus. So you say, what along this line of seeking our own, how does it apply to me? Well, this passage, we have to remember that Paul is talking about here. He's not referring to the lost world. He's not referring to that. He's, referring, he's actually referring to people who minister the gospel. And let me say this, and we can all agree because we've all seen it. There are people that minister to the gospel of Jesus Christ in 2020, and they do it to seek their own agenda. They preach for their own agenda. They serve for their own agenda. They have a TV program for their own agenda. Paul says, I'm not even worried about the people who do not know Jesus. I'm talking about the people who are born again. I can't find anybody in that crowd who does not seek their own. It's a problem for all of us. We treat church and we treat Jesus with this thought in mind. What can I get out of it? We walk into church with this thought. What am I going to get out of it? People find churches and look for churches that they want to join, that they want to be a part of with this thought. What can I get out of it? What can my children get out of the children's ministry? What can my teenagers get out of the teen ministry? What do I like? Do I really like how the pastor preaches? Does it like please my ear? Does it give me a good feeling inside? Like, do I feel good about myself when I go and I eat fried chicken for lunch? Like, what can I get out of it? But here's the attitude we should have when we come to church. You remember the story of the of Mary and the Gospels? The Bible says that she pour out, she poured out a box of ointment at the feet of Jesus. And do you remember what Judas said? Judas said, what are you doing? Do you realize what I could have gotten out of that? Do you realize what I could have took that precious ointment and I could have sold it for? Do you realize what I could have got out of it? See, Judas was consumed with what he could have gotten out of it, what he could have gained. A lot of times that's how we come to Jesus and that's how we come to church. What am I going to get out of it? But you know, our attitude should be a lot like Mary. What does the Bible say Mary did? The Bible says this, that Mary poured out the ointment. You know what my attitude should be when I come to Jesus, when I come to church? It should be this, Jesus, what can you get out of me? Here's my life, here's my dreams, here's my family, here's my children. What can you get out of me? See, I'm never going to get to the spiritual level as I go along this life's journey where I reach no problems, no sin issues, no temptation. And the only way I mature as a Christian is not that I ever get more of God. Can I say this? As soon as you're saved, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit indwells you. You're never going to get more of God. Never. But as you mature as a Christian, what you learn is you start to surrender more of yourself to God. And so it seems as the Holy Spirit has more of you, but really I just allow myself for God to have more of myself. Even serving and living for Christ, we can do it for our own agenda. I've been in ministry for 10 years. I graduated Bible college in 2010, 
So this is my 10th year of ministry. And even in my short time of ministry, I have seen people who come to church, through church attendance, through Sunday school attendance, through service in ministries, and their purpose is to fulfill their own agenda. I come to church, I sit in Sunday school, I serve in ministry. And even though at the end of the day, I want to have a pure motive, I want to have the right attitude, I want to have the right spirit, at the end of the day, we seek our own agenda. What can I get out of it? How is it going to benefit me? If we're all honest, there's none of us that are an exception this morning. You have the battle today of seeking your own instead of those things which are Christ. The battle is real. The battle has no issue on what age you are. The battle has no issue with how long you've been saved. The battle has no issue how long you've been going to church. This battle is raging in all of us, seeking our own things. Can I show you the battle that you're going to face, everything that you're going to face this week as you face this battle of seeking your own? It's going to be found out of this verse. Will you take your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And look at verse 16. What causes us as men and women to seek those things that bring pleasure and comfort to us? What causes us to seek our own? Look at 1 John verse, chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says, For all that is in the world, all, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The battle that me and you face this week, every single battle, every temptation that you and I could possibly face this week comes out of those three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And in fact, the enemy has a long, 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 long history of using these three things in the life of a man or a woman to cause them to seek their own desires, to seek their own comfort, to seek their own pleasure. You say, what do you mean? This isn't a new thing found in just in 2020, the enemy Satan is going to use in our lives. He actually used it on the first person that ever sinned. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. For us to really understand the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, we need to see how the enemy uses it in the life of a person. And in fact, he used it in the life of Eve. Look at Genesis chapter 3. And once you get to Genesis chapter 3, let's look at verse 2. Of course, a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing the good and evil. Look at verse 6. If you underline in your Bible, I'm going to tell you the exact phrases to underline, and you're going to be able to see what the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are. Look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, underline the phrase, 
that the tree was good for food, and right out beside it, the lust of the flesh. Like the next part. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Underline that phrase and put out beside it, lust of the eyes. And look at the next phrase. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Underline that phrase and put out beside it the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Every single temptation, every single sin that you and I could possibly be tempted with this upcoming week is going to be faced out of these three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's break it down so we really understand what these three things represent. This is for all of us. Teenagers, parents, grandparents. You do not get a pass just because you've been in church for 30 years, just because you've been saved for 35 years. The enemy would love nothing more than to take a saint of God that's been serving him for over 30 years and to ruin their testimony. So this is for all of us. Notice, lust of the flesh, what does the Bible say? It says, when she saw that it was good for what? Food. Is eating sinful? No, and in fact, it is a godly desire that's been put into you to hunger for food. We gain nutrition from it. It is something very good for us to do, is to eat. So, craving something because it could satisfy your need for food, because it's a God-given desire, is not sin. Do you know when a desire becomes sin? Is when you have this mentality... I have this desire inside of me and I'm going to satisfy that desire no matter what it costs me. I have a desire inside of me. Desires are God-given. But if the desire gets to the point where you're saying it's inside of me, it's longing in my soul and I'm going to satisfy it no matter what it costs me, that's when it becomes sin. I don't care if it costs me my family. I don't care if it costs me my marriage. I don't care if it costs me my job. I don't care if it costs me my testimony. I have a desire and I'm going to satisfy it no matter what it costs me. That's when it becomes sin. That's the battles we face. Lust of the flesh. Notice the next part of the verse. It says, she saw that it was good for food and then it says that it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Here's what the Bible says in Lamentations. Mine eye affecteth my heart. In Proverbs, the Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are all the issues of life. That word keep there literally has the idea of guarding. So, Beckett in the Bible times, how did cities protect themselves? Building walls, right? So how did you guard your city? Well, you had to guard the gates. Do you know how you guard the city? Or do you, you know how you guard your heart? Is you have to guard the gates. You say, what are the gates of my heart? My eyes and my ears. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. That word diligence there means with all purpose, with all intensity, with everything that it takes. Guard your heart, guard the gates for out of it are all the issues of life. Every single issue that you will face in your life, you will handle it totally based upon what you've allowed to go through the gates of your eye and through the gates of your ear. 
And here's what the Bible says, that she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. I've got to guard my eyes. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us what type of fruit that it was that she was tempted with. But something in the fruit attracted her eye and said in her mind, man, if I could just take that fruit, I bet you it would taste so good. And is that not the same thing the devil tells us today? Man, if I could just take that, click on that, text this, watch this, go there, I bet you it would feel so good. And it will! Because there's pleasures of sin for a... I'd be a fool to stand up here and say, oh, there's no fun in sin. There's no pleasure in sin. That's not even what the Bible teaches. But it's just for a season. And here's the last thing in the verse. It says, she saw it was good for food. It was pleasant to her eyes. And that it would make one wise. That's the pride of life. You know when the pride of life sets in is when we have this thought. I'm going to put myself in the place of God. I'm going to put my plans and my desires in the place of God. See, here's the thing. The Bible says it says that she saw they would make one wise. Worldly wisdom is a lot different than godly wisdom. Now that I have children, I'm understanding more and more that I want my children to be raised with godly wisdom, and I could care less if they ever understand worldly wisdom. Think about this. Do you know why? Why did God protect them from this tree? What's it called? It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, correct? Why was God trying to keep Adam and Eve, the only two humans on earth at that time, away from that tree? You know what he was protecting in Adam and Eve? He was protecting their innocence. Because as soon as you eat of it, you're going to know right and wrong. Could you imagine the innocence that Adam and Eve felt in the garden before they sinned? Could you imagine the innocence of being able to talk to God and the intimacy they felt talking with God on a daily basis, not having to come and pray and just by faith try to pray to God, but they talked with God because they were innocent. And think about what the Bible says when they took of the fruit. What was the first thing they did? They went and they covered themselves because for the first time in their life, they were not innocent. It says that they were ashamed Because for the first time in their life, they lost their innocence. Parents, the most valuable thing your children have is their innocence. And I don't care if you're popular. I don't care if they get mad at you. And I don't care if they think you're a loser. But please, please protect your children's innocence. Please don't post anything that would make them ashamed. We live in a world that is messed up. And the most valuable thing you can give your children is growing up in a home where they know their innocence is protected. That's what the enemy wants to steal from all of us. One of my greatest fears being in ministry and standing in preaching is that one day I won't be able to stand up behind the pulpit and be innocent. Listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that. But God help me if I'm ever in a position that I don't have the power of God on my life. 
But if I'm going to seek those things which are Christ, and I know there's a battle, then what does that look like? If this week I'm going to seek those things which are Jesus, how do I know the difference? Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And look at verse 8. So Paul is writing this letter. He talks about seeking your own over those things which are Christ. And he comes to the end, the last chapter. And he writes this verse. In the Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, finally. Okay, I'm summing this up. Hey, church, listen, this is what he's saying. He's saying, finally, brethren, brothers and sisters, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Can I tell you what the things of Christ looks like? This verse. This is a checklist. True, honest. That word honest literally has the idea of being noble. Is it a, no, a noble task? Is it a waste of time? Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are fair, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and if it's, is it going to give me a good report? So how do I apply that to my life? So this week, before I say a word to my husband, before I say a word to my wife, before I say a word to my children, I use this checklist. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? And after I say this, is it going to give me a good report? And can I tell you, with all the love I have in my heart for you this morning, if it does not meet those things, if it is not true, if it is not lovely, and if it is not pure, please, by all means, with the help of the Holy Spirit, keep your mouth shut! If it doesn't meet one of those things. Please. Because you're going to damage your children. You're going to damage your husband. You're going to damage your wife. It's convicting to me. I have to talk to my children. Do you understand? Who cares if I preach to thousands of teenagers? Who cares if I preach to thousands of teenagers? I have to go home and live it in front of my kids. I got to go home and live it in front of my wife. My kids and my wife sees me in my worst days. I got to live it in front of them. So let's get real. This week, before I send a text, is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? And after I send the text, is it going to give me a good report? And if the answer is no, delete it! That's how, I know I'm really passionate right now, but that's how passionate we have to be or we're never going to do it. Because the enemy has this lie for all of us. It's not that big of a deal. That text to that coworker is not that big of a deal. That click on that website is not that big of a deal. That scene in that show or that movie is not that big of a deal. And we got to use this checklist. Before I send a post, or post a post, or however you say that, tweet a tweet, or I don't know, one of those things. Snap a Snapchat, I don't know. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? And after I make this post, is it going? I had the privilege of preaching my granddad's funeral. 
the other week, and I preached on this verse, a good name is more precious than ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. How is that possible? How can the day of death be better than the day of birth? Because when I held my baby girl two years ago, when she came into this world, there was a lot of joy and a lot of happiness. But when we buried my granddad, over the past few days and weeks, there's been a lot of sadness and a lot of tears. So you tell me how the day of death could ever be better than the day of birth. You know how? Is if at the end of it, when, I, when you hold a baby, there's a lot of hopes, there's a lot of dreams, there's a lot of prayers over that baby. But there are no guarantees. There's no guarantee that that child's going to grow up in a Christian home. There's no guarantee that that child is going to serve God with their lives. There's no guarantee that that child is going to be protected from the damages of sin. There's no guarantee. But when somebody has lived their life based upon this checklist and have pursued those things which are of Jesus, then at the end of it, there's no more ifs, there's no more unknowns. You can say with 100% certainty that they lived a life that brought honor and glory to Jesus Christ, and that's the life we should pursue. And that's the life I should seek. I should settle, okay, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, I die to myself, and I seek those things which are Christ. I'm going to ask if they will come and play quietly. And I want to close with this. Can I look at a verse of somebody who pursued their own things and not the things which are Jesus? Take your Bibles and turn to Psalms 51. Psalms 51, at the top of the chapter of Psalms 51, your Bible probably says something similar to this. It says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Hey, what does the Bible say about David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. But you know a man after God's own heart still struggled with the idea of seeking his own desires, of seeking his own will. And this psalm was written in the darkest days guaranteed of David's life. This is right after Nathan had came to David and said, you are the man, you are the one that had the affair with Uriah's wife, and because of your sin the child that Bathsheba is with is going to die. And there is no doubt David is heartbroken. David is in total darkness in his spirituality. And he writes this psalm in the hardest days of his life. When he has just reaped the fruits of seeking my own desires. Listen to what he writes in Psalms 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David says, God, I need you to create a new heart. I need you to give me a new heart. I need you to give me new desires. I need to give you, you to give me new dreams, a new destiny. Because right now I'm really, really broken. But look at the last phrase. David writes this phrase, renew 
a right spirit within me. That word renew has this idea. The other week, I had to go to the DMV to renew my license. And you talk about testing your spirituality, waiting at the DMV. Mm. Who knew that you would have to wait three hours? But oh well. I'm not bitter about it at all. But I, I had to renew my license. And the only way I could have renewed my license is because renew has this idea behind it. That at some point in your life, you have had to possess it. You know the only way I could have walked into the DMV on Smoky Park Highway and renewed my license is if I possessed my license. And then I could renew it. You know what David is saying when he's praying that prayer? Renew a right spirit within me. This is what David is saying. He's saying, I remember being a little boy out keeping the sheep. I remember what it was like being innocent. I remember what it was like having an intimate conversation with God with nobody else around. I remember those days. You know what David's saying? He's saying this. He said, I remember what it was like when my dad came and got me, when dad's servant came and got me out of the field and said, hey, Samuel wants you because God's all over you and he's going to anoint you to be the next king of Israel. And David's saying, I remember what it was like to approach Samuel and I was scared and I didn't know what was going to happen in the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months, but I knew that God was with me. I remember what it was like when Samuel poured that anointing oil over my head and I felt God's presence in my life. I remember it. And I remember what it was like being a little boy and being offended by Goliath in the valley. And I remember what it was like having the boldness and the courage to go take five stones and to put one in my sling and having the Spirit of God come upon me and release that stone and defeat the giant. I remember what it was like. I remember what it was like. Oh, I remember what it was like getting along with God and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Him giving me a psalm of praise. I remember what it was like. And here's what David's saying. I remember what it is like. And I want it back. I messed up. Oh God, could you reach down into the darkness of my soul, of my sinful life, and start creating me a clean heart so that I could go back and I could have the shame of sin and the weight of sin off of my life? so I can feel your presence one more time. It's the most precious thing I have. Could you give it back to me? Because I miss it. One of the greatest prayers anybody could pray this morning is God renew a right spirit within me. Oh God, I want to feel your breath on my life again. God, I want to feel your breath on my marriage again. God, I want you to be honored by my children. I mean, would be willing to pray that prayer this morning. The only way you're able to pray that prayer is if God has authority over your life. And the only way God has authority over your life is if you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would you stand quietly all over the building? We're going to sing a few verses of this song. But as they sing, would you be willing to come and pray that prayer before God this morning? 
I promise you, when David came and prayed that prayer, he wasn't worried about anybody else. He wasn't worried about what people may think. He was so desperate for God. That's when true revival comes. Maybe you pray as a couple. Maybe you pray as a family. Maybe you just need to come all by yourself. Say, God, I want to feel your presence again. Repent, renew, revive. The Holy Spirit spoke to your heart this morning. Would you come and do business? Maybe you need to pray for a prodigal son, prodigal daughter. Maybe that's your prayer for them. God, renew a right spirit within them. As they sing these verses, would you come? you can answer this morning is if you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You ever realize that you were a sinner? You ever ask Christ to forgive you of your sins? You can bow your heads one more time. I'm just going to ask this simple question. Anybody say, Pastor Nathan, pray for me. I'm not 100% sure. I cannot remember a time in my life that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm not 100% sure I am saved and on my way to heaven. Would anybody raise their hand this morning and say, Pastor Nathan, pray for me? Before they sing this next verse, just hold it up long enough so I can see it. They're going to sing one more verse. And when they get to the chorus, can we just sing it with them? Maybe you've heard it before. You've heard it a couple times now, but it's such a powerful song. And it's really what our hearts cry should be as we leave the building.
hearts cry as we leave the building. God, you alone are my heart's desire and my soul longs to worship you. God, I'm thankful for grace and mercy. I'm thankful for verses like Psalms 51.10 to remind us, God, you don't give up on us. God, you don't push us to the side. God, you don't say that's one too many times of messing up, but God, your spirit can reach into the darkest situations and circumstances and create a new heart and give a new desire and give a new destiny. And Lord, we ask you to do it in all of our lives. Lord, in the authority of the name of Jesus, would you allow us to have victory this week? God, we love you. God, may the weight of the world and the distractions of the enemy fall by the wayside as our eyes become fixed on you this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.